Don't you just love Christmas? I don't know about you, but that was one of the most adorable things I've ever seen. Uh, you know, when little Shemaya got up here to read, to do her uh, song, her solo, I, I almost broke down into tears myself. You know, I am just a big baby, really, uh, at heart, but uh, I, I imagine there weren't too many dry eyes in the room at that moment. But uh, we love, love Christmas. Praise the Lord um, for this time of year where we get to celebrate. And thank you guys for being patient as we got the pulpit committee up here getting the pulpit in. Thank you guys. Had to bring in the muscle. Thank you, gentlemen. What a joy it is to be here today. And speaking of being here today, uh, we hate that uh, Brother Shelby can't be here. He is uh, with us in spirit, uh, but he has also just been really sick. Uh, he texted me yesterday and just said, uh, hey, brother, I ain't going to be able to be there, so uh, get ready. So um, I said, certainly no problem. I'm happy to do it to bring the word uh, to you guys this morning. But before we do that, I'd love to just pray for us and uh, thank God for all these truths that we just sang and rejoiced in together. So let's pray, and then we'll uh, dive into God's word together. Lord, we love you so very much. And uh, Lord, I, I realize that I'm just a feeble man up here that is uh, attempting to bring your powerful, beautiful, amazing word uh, to light, Lord, uh, to the surface, that we might see it, that we might enjoy it, that we might rejoice in it, God, and I pray that you would just help us to, as, as we paused and listened to these awesome songs that we sing to you, I pray also that we can just take a moment and we can just rejoice, Lord. We can just celebrate who you are, and really, that's what we're going to do today, God. You know, because you, you, you sat with me the whole time through prep. You sat with me, oh God. You were with me. I was praying to you, Lord, and you, I knew you were right there with me, God. And Lord, I pray that every single person in this room can realize that they have the same access to you, Christ, because of what you did, because you came on Christmas, Lord. We have access to you, Lord, to cry out to you, to love you, to pray to you. And so, God, I pray that we would realize that profoundness of Christmas, that it's God with us, you with us, oh Lord. One of the greatest accomplishments, you with us, Lord. I love it, and I thank you for it. And I pray right now as I, as I speak, as I labor to bring the word uh, to us this morning, God, I pray that I would learn something. I pray that the congregation would grow in you, Christ, and that we would just realize more fully what it means that you are with us, Christ. And uh, Lord, I pray all these things in your heavenly and holy name. Amen. Well, I was uh, looking on the schedule sheet, and um, you know, since I wasn't preparing myself for this throughout the week, I didn't really think to realize that we had a, uh, a Christmas special this morning with the kiddos, and so I looked at the sheet and it said 25 minutes. Okay, so I'm going to do my best to uh, dial this back to 25 minutes, because I prepared more for like 55 minutes, so uh, we'll just see. It'll be a miracle. It'll be another Christmas miracle to see if uh, God can dial this in, but uh, dial me in really uh, more like it. But I got a question to start out uh, this morning. How many of you in the room are bakers? You like to bake. All right. A fair amount of you. That's really cool. That's awesome to hear. Uh, you know, uh, Christmas season is a time where we like to bake all kinds of baked goods, that kind of deal. Well, I can tell you, I am not a baker. Uh, I am not, but I do like to dabble every now and then. I like to attempt new things. And so whenever I see an opportunity, especially with my girls, because my girls love baking and they, they bake with mama all the time. And, uh, but when I see an opportunity, 
something new with one of our kiddos, I go for it. And so I had a unique day. Uh, it was uh, last year uh, in November. It was a day where Abby was out at school, Joe was out doing something, probably shopping or whatever it was, and she had Owen with her. And it was just going to be a moment where I had time with uh, sweet little Hannah, who you just saw up here singing. And I decided just on the spot, Joe was gone, I, I, I couldn't leave the house. But I decided on the spot I was going to bake something with Hannah. Me, me and her were going to have a daddy-daughter baking date, okay? And so I got online and, you know, uh, the power of Google. Uh, praise the Lord for the power of Google in some ways. I'm not going to say in every way. Um, but I got on Google and I was like, easiest, simplest, you know, recipe uh, for cookies. And I found this peanut butter cinnamon sugar cookies, and uh, praise God for peanut butter cinnamon sugar cookies. They, they did end up tasting pretty good, okay? Um, but me and Hannah got to work. I got all the ingredients. I made sure we had them at the house, and so we did. And so I started mixing, and I'm a real meticulous, methodical kind of person, so it takes me longer than the average bear to bake something, okay? And, uh, and so we're, we're working on it. Hannah's helping me mix. She's helping me crack the eggs. You know, we're getting it all together. And I'm, I'm mixing the final deal, right? When you take that moment, when you take the wet ingredients and the dry ingredients and you mesh them together, and I'm like, okay, I'm not sure how this is gonna turn out, but here we go. And I, and I put them together and I start, you know, kneading this dough, I think is the right word there. And I start, you know, just kind of pounding it, right? And I'm starting to realize that this thing is like not working. It's starting to kind of fall apart, right? It feels more like that kinetic, like that sand, you know, have you ever seen that? You know, it's, it's turning into more of that. And I'm like, oh my, something has gone terribly wrong here. And, and Hannah has worked so hard. Daddy's got to pull this together. Something's got to happen, right? And so I'm going back over in my, my mind. I'm like, I'm like, you know, cinnamon, check. You know, uh, eggs, check the eggs. They're the binder, right? Check. I got everything. And then all of a sudden it dawned on me that I had left the butter uh, in the microwave because I was trying to soften it. So this whole time I was trying to knead this. So it was more like peanut butter cinnamon sand. Uh, at that point. And so, so I, I, I rescue, I get the butter, I throw it in there as quick as possible and I start beating it in. Hannah's helping me out. We're mixing it. We're going for it. I was like, go oh, Hannah, we got to get this mixed in. And it starts to gel and I'm like, okay, I'm feeling better about this. And, uh, you know, we, we, we uh, take it out into little balls and we put it on the tray and we put it in the oven. And sure enough, we had decent peanut butter cinnamon cookies sugar cookies. And then in fact, I brought them to work and uh, even Miss Carol was like, hey, those were pretty good. Okay. So good job, Hannah. It was mostly Hannah. Give it up for Hannah. She was the better baker. <laughs> but I realized, you know, that, that butter is a very essential ingredient, just like eggs are a very essential ingredient in so many things that you cook, so many things that you do. And when we think about Christmas, we think about Christ being the central, the figurehead of everything that we celebrate. If we don't have Christ, we have nothing in the faith. If Christ had not come that night, that fateful night, we would have absolutely nothing in this life. And I'm not just talking about fun, Christmassy fun, right? I'm talking about we would have absolutely no hope. It wouldn't just be Christmas that would be uh, drib and drower. We wouldn't have Christmas. We would have nothing. And so Jesus is central to everything that we celebrate, everything that we are 
as believers, just like the eggs and the butter that have to go into the baking experience, you've got to have Christ. He is the hinge on which the gospel door swings. If you don't have the essential component of Christ, you have absolutely nothing. And so this morning, we're going to go to a really unique text, uh, thinking about Christ being everything. And uh, it's not originally what we think about as a Christmas text, but we're going to go to Colossians. So grab your Bibles, and uh, we're going to go explore just a little while in Colossians chapter 1. And uh, we're going through uh, verses 15 through 20, which is uh, known well uh, as the preeminence of Christ text. Okay, that's, that's a big word, but basically what that word means is that Christ is primary, that he is first, that he is number one, uh, right? And, and just kind of what I was talking about there, he is central. But really think about, when you think about preeminence, think about him being superior, him being number one, the number one authority. A, a good word to match with that is Lord, that he is Lord. Okay, and what I want to do, because this is not a traditional Christmas text that we go to often to think about Christ's birth, uh, I I was thinking about this, and and part of the reason I went to this text is because I simply asked Shelby, hey, what were you going to preach on? And he gave me, he said, this is what I was going to preach on. And I was like, wow, preeminence of Christ on Christmas. I love it. Let's go. Okay, so that's, that's what really led me to this passage, the providence of God. Uh, there. But what we're going to do, I, I want to elevate your thinking and my thinking about all that Christ is, even in the manger moment. Because Christ doesn't lose any of his Christ likeness. The, the, the fact of who he is when he was born and he was lying in the manger. I hope you realize that. And that's really what I, uh, the, the main point I want you to get is that Christ uh, lost nothing when he came uh, as a babe, okay? The, none of the nature, none of the power, none of the beauty, none of the glory of Christ was lost in that Christmas moment. And so we're going to be thinking about this manger scene moment, not the baby doll. It's actually kind of a cute baby doll. They're, most of them are freaky. That one's Okay. <laughs> But we're going to be thinking about this moment, and we're going to be adding some layers to Christmas so that when you guys are usually, I don't know about your traditions, but, but we as a family growing up used to lead, uh, read uh, the Luke 2 narrative uh, of Christ's birth uh, when, uh, right at Christmas Eve. And I just want to add some new layers for you to think about, like, this is what was going on. This is who this is that's laying in this manger uh, in this moment. And what I want you to see is in this text, Christ is elevated, as I said, as the, as the superior one, as the supreme one, but he's elevated like that so that we would adore him and worship him. And I started to think about the song, Come Let Us Adore Him, right? Come Let Us Adore Him. And so that's the way I'm going to frame this today, um, you know, and, and it'll all be vetted out in, in the second coming and Christ can, can tell me if this was, was the right direction or not. Um, but I felt like it really was. So Christ is worthy of adoration. That word adoration, to cherish or to love, right? To cherish or to love. And I think if we're honest, sometimes, uh, and I know it's a reality that we all have to wrestle with, okay? I, I don't want you to feel like I'm beating down on you when I say this. I want you to feel the common struggle that I have with all of you in this Christmas season because, man, is it busy, right? Can I get an amen? 
Or maybe it shouldn't be an amen because that's a let it be so. Maybe it should just be a, yeah, that's, that, that happens. Um, and it does, right? We get busy, we get distracted. Um, you know, I don't know about you, but I was so, I was so tired yesterday. We had fun with family. I was hanging out with family. We were opening gifts. It was, I mean, it was crazy. Uh, we have, uh, there's eight grandbabies for my parents now, and they were running all of them simultaneously all at the same time. I was over there by the tree trying to hand out gifts and I was like, and they were strewn all over the place. And I was like, I, I, I might have a breakdown. I, I don't know. I'm close, right? And so, and we survived. Uh, praise God, we're here. But, you know, there's so many different things that go on and happen at Christmas. Man, let us remember to adore the King, to cherish and love Him, because He is Lord over all creation and salvation. And those are central points. You find uh, throughout Scripture, what is the worth of Christ? What is His worthiness uh, tied to and connected to? It is oftentimes in Scripture communicated that his worthiness is tied to his creation and his salvation of us. So I'm going to read uh, Colossians here. Colossians, again, it's 1, 15 through 20. And uh, you can just follow along. You'll know this well as I start to read it because it is such a profound uh, passage. Uh, so much written on it. Uh, so many good things said about it. So let's start in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. What a profound, awesome uh, passage that we're going to deal with here and, and, and walk through. And again, I know it doesn't ring Christmassy altogether. But I want to invite you, and the first point here is come adore the baby in the manger, the eternal God. Come adore the baby in the manger, the eternal God. I, I think that the concept of age, uh, we, we talk about that a lot in our culture. I, I think in many societies, many cultures, uh, we talk about the concept of age, or we don't talk about it, but we think about it for sure. Because we communicate it all the time, don't we? And we say that those who are older have more honor and usually more authority, correct? And then those who are younger, they're more innocent. Uh, you know, they get into teenage years and we're like, they just lost their brains for a minute. I love you. I love you guys. I really do. I love y'all. But, but, but yeah, I lost my brain for a minute. It happened. I don't know. It's, I got it back. But anyway, they get into the teenage years and we're like, okay, they're getting there. They're, they're uh, getting ushered into adulthood. And then, you know, when you get into your, your middle ages kind of deal, uh, you feel like maybe you've arrived to a certain degree. And, and then with our, our more seasoned veterans in life, 
uh, we, we love them. We love to listen to them. We love to hear, I, I'm sorry, I love to listen to our, our seasoned uh, folks here in our church. I love to hear their wisdom. I really do. Um, and just by the way, this is just an open call. You're welcome anytime to come to my office and to talk to me about life. And, you know, maybe if I need some help and direction, you see something lacking in my life. I, I'm open to listen to someone who's had experience and, and, and is, wants to give me a word of wisdom. And so age is something that we think about that comes with authority. Uh, you know, just a few common statements that come along with that, and this is proof of, that this exists in our culture. I've got socks in my dresser that are older than you. <laughs> Have you heard that one before? I've heard that one just quite a few times. I mean, you know, and, and uh, I, I do start to wonder, I mean, I, what's the state of those socks? <laughs> I mean, that's... Uh, I mean, uh, I, I know the big toe has to at least escaped by now, so, right? Uh, I have a few of those confessions. Um, I brought you into this world, and I can take you out of it. <laughs> have you ever heard that one before? I certainly have. I've heard that one before. My mom's not here, so I can say that. I brought you into this world, and I can take you out of it, which communicates age, right? Because, I mean, she did bring me into this world. It's time to put your big boy or big girl pants on. Have you heard that one before, right? So, so the concept of age communicates authority uh, in, in our culture. And, and what we see here in the very beginning of this text, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Uh, now, not to be confused with the idea that image here is communicating his incarnation when he came and he was, he was wrapped in flesh. When it, before I started studying this text, I had the same idea that this is talking about the incarnation, but this is actually, when you look at those words in his image, uh, or he is the image of the invisible God, it's connected to actually Genesis uh, chapter 1, 26 and 27, when God says, let us make man in our image and our likeness. And, and really, and if you see what's happening there in the Adam moment, he is the, the prototype, he is the first of all who would come after him in this unique uh, call to bear God's image. And so what, what Paul is saying here is that Jesus is the original, original uh, one to bear God's image. He, he, in essence and in totality, is everything that God is. And he bears forth and brings forth the very nature of God by who he is. And he is then the pre-existent one. Okay, big word there, pre-existent one. But you get that. He's the one that existed before anything began. And I just want you to dial in for a moment and think about this, that that baby laying in the manger was the pre-existent one, is the pre-existent one. That didn't change when he was in that manger. Now he took on, now this is deep theology here, I'm just gonna hit on this for just a second. He took on a new nature, but always the same person. That, that baby in the manger, Jesus, was God the Son in that moment. And continuously, always, God the Son. And he took on humanity, right? And so as you think about this Christmas, who is this Jesus? He is the image of the invisible God. He existed before anything else in this world. And that's what Paul is wanting to press upon this Colossian church, that he is the, 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 the one who was there before anything else was made. 
And, and he presses this point further because you see, right after that comma, he says, the firstborn of all creation. Now, when he says firstborn of all creation, uh, you know, that can be kind of confusing, but we've talked about this before, that when he says firstborn, he's not saying that at one point Christ wasn't and then he was. You know, we get confused sometimes with that word born, right? Uh, the firstborn, uh, the, the first begotten. But that's not what this word is communicating. Uh, the Greek word there kind of communicates more of a, uh, a rank or a status, right? He is the one that is beyond and above every other uh, thing. And really what it's saying here is he's the one that ranks above and beyond all of creation itself. The Christ child is before and above all other things. He takes priority and rank above it. Now, I do think that when Christ comes to earth, he then is also, I think you can make that link that he also is in the image of God. He is the, uh, he is the visible expression of the invisible God. Everything that he says, everything that he does, everything that he thinks expresses God's nature, his will, his ability, all that Christ does. And so we can, we can realize here in this moment that he's the preexistent one, but he also, everything that we see about Christ, he is bringing the Father and the Father's nature to us, which he talks about a lot uh, in the Gospels. And we just don't have time today to go explore uh, all of that. But as we think about the Christ, I, I want to challenge you to come adore him as the one who existed before anything else. To really just meditate on that moment. That, that it's adorable. It, it, it's adorable when we, when we see the depictions of Mary and Joseph around in the stable at the manger and the shepherds have come you know, we just saw that in this moment and, and it is adorable but we are talking about the lord who has come and speaking of that the second point here come adore the baby in the manger the lord of all creation the same god who humbly subjected himself to be molded and crafted in his mother's womb is the same God who molded and crafted the whole of creation. Wow. So this, this baby, that Jesus, who, decide, who, who chose of his own will to come down from heaven to earth, to condescend to us, was knit together in his mother's womb, Mary's womb. That was, that was a real process that really happened. We know Jesus was 100% human, right? In one sense, right? 100% human and 100% God. He was, and he subjected himself to being molded and crafted, knit together in his mother's womb and Mary's womb, and yet he is the same one in that manger who molded and crafted the entire world, all of creation. I don't know about you, but that's just mind-blowing to me. And, and here's, what, here's what Paul is trying to communicate to the Colossians, right? When you make something... Now, when you just go buy something, it, it, it's, you, you care about it, right? Especially if it's something somewhat valuable, you care about it. But isn't there a difference when you make something? And, and let's just say this, something that you're proud of, you know? Maybe not the peanut butter, cinnamon, sugar cookies, at least for me. Um, but you make something that you're proud of, right? 
Uh, or, or maybe for you, let, let's think about it a different way. It's still, it's still creating something, some intellectual property. Maybe you wrote something, right, and you care about that. Maybe some of you, I know we're in Nashville, you wrote a song, right, and you care about that, right? And if someone were to rip that off or to claim it as their own, you'd be, you'd be a little perturbed, wouldn't you? I know I would be, right? When I, when I set my mind to make something, I like to be creative. I like to make things, and I'm not talking about like woodworking or something like that. Uh, I like to write, and when I, when I write something and I make something of my own, um, you know, I, I, I'm proud of it, and, and I have ownership of it, at least to a certain degree. I know everything is the Lord's, right? But in the same sense, in this text, what Paul is communicating is that God, that Christ Jesus, is the owner of all things. It's all his. He, and here's the deal. Again, he, he meshes and he mixes this reality that God pre-existed, that Jesus pre-existed all things, and that he made them all. And so he is owner of all of them. He is Lord over all of it. There's, there's not one single little molecule that, that in existence that, that is doing its own thing outside of the, of the sovereign will of God, of his control, of his power. Look at this, what he says uh, back in verse 16. For by him all things were created. For by him, through him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Unless I miss that note that all things are for him, by the way, uh, you know, thinking about the, the baby in the manger, still all for him. Everything is all for him. And, and, and this doesn't just uh, exclude it doesn't exclude what we can't see, right? He includes that there. Paul does. He says, it's, it's the heavens and the earth. It's the, the invisible and the visible, what you can see, what's tangible, what you can smell and touch. And it's also those authorities and principalities and those things that are at work that we cannot see. And all of that is enfolded and meshed and included in God's authority. He is superior over all of it, and he is in control over all of it. And it all is subject to him. Uh, I, I love this. And, and I think that there's really an emphasis on the invisible. Because I, I want you to think about this. In Ephesians 6, uh, 10 through 12, he uses the same kind of language. It's, it's Paul again. And he uses the same kind of language uh, as he's using here. He says, finally, starting in verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that, you may, uh, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers. You hear that? Similar language there. Against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So, so I really think what Paul is saying here, he is focusing on what we can see, but I think he's putting more of an emphasis on what we can't see. And this is because Paul was battling some th false theology that was going on in that church. Uh, this shaman-like figure had come in, and he, was, and he was mixing Judaism and some pagan religion, and he was advocating the worship of angels. And Paul's coming to the Colossians, back to them, in their temptation moment, and he's saying, oh, hey, whoa, whoa, stop, stop. This king, Jesus, is Lord over the, over the angels, over even Satan himself. 
He is Lord over all of it. It's all his. And he has the right, by the way, to redeem it, right? By way, by nature of who he is as the creator. And that's, that's the final point that he gets to. And I'm skipping some of my content here so that we can get to the end. But, but he, he by, by way of his nature as, as Lord over all creation, all things created through him and for him, he also, by that way, is rightfully the savior of the world. And that's why he came, isn't it? So the third point there, come, uh, come adore the baby in the manger, the Lord of redemption, the Lord of redemption. I love this because there's two uh, creation events in this text. I don't know if you noticed that. Uh, there's two creation moments, right? So we just read about the first one, that he is the creator of all things seen and unseen. But then you go to verse 18, and I want you to pay close attention, okay, to, see, to catch the second creation. I don't know if you caught it or not. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Man, that is creative language all over again. Whenever you see repetition in scripture, hang on to that, right? Because he said that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, right? In the first verse that we looked at in 15. And then here in 18, he comes back to that, that theme, that idea. He says he is the head, which means that he is the chief. Uh, he is the chief. I, I love this. That's also connected to that uh, verse in First uh, Peter chapter 2. Uh, verse 7, it says, So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, which is the same word in Greek uh, for this word uh, that God is, that he is the chief, that he is the, the firstborn, right? Uh, that's what it's communicating, uh, that he is the head. I'm sorry, that he is the head. And that's connected to that word cornerstone, that he is the chief of all creation, but, but it's connected to this idea because he is the beginning, that, that gives him the right to be the head of the church, over the church, to be the chief of the church. And we see this almost the second creation language when he says he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. This Jesus, this one who came, and, and here's the thing, I always have to remind myself of this. In this joyous occasion, that we celebrate this Christmas season, I have to remind myself that when I think about the baby in the manger, I think about the fact that that baby was marked to die. That child came into the world marked to die. And we all have to pass through the, the, that door. But Jesus had a special mission and his special mission was to die a horrible death so that you and I could be redeemed from our sin. So that, so that we wouldn't have to bear the weight of that punishment. And in so doing, Christ went to his death. And when Paul says here that he's the firstborn from the dead, he's saying he is the first one to raise unto life everlasting. He is the first one, the creator of that moment. And we get to follow suit with that, because of what Christ did, being the first one to originate that moment and to bring it into reality, that he's the firstborn from the dead, the one who resurrected unto life everlasting. And as we think about Christ in the manger, 
I hope it won't be lost in us to remember and think about the fact that, that, that into the future, and not that long into the future, by the way, right? Not really that long into the future, he'd be going to the cross to redeem you, to redeem me, so that we wouldn't have to undergo that punishment and that we might rise from the dead one day as well. And he made us new creatures in him. This is a new creation moment. And again, this is what Paul doesn't want us to miss this, that, that we get to be the firstborn, uh, or we get to be uh, born from the dead as well, following his first birth from the, from the dead. And so he, he is the one who paved the way, the pathway for us to be born from the dead, to raise with him one day. And, and again, I, I want us all as I wrap up here, I want us all to think about Christ in the, in the manger as the preexistent one, the one who existed before anything else existed, the one who created all things, this baby in the manger. We can't lose any of that. And the one who was marked to die for you and I in our place so that we could be saved from our sin and the one who rose from the grave and that we get to be counted as new creatures in Christ, and that one day we get to rise with him because of his coming. Praise God, amen? Praise the Lord. Let's pray, guys, and then we'll conclude our service today. Lord, thank you so much for these beautiful realities that you have given given us, Lord. I pray that we would take time... um, during this season, as we, as we have done this morning, God, I pray that we would really reserve, set aside some time to praise you, to think about you in new ways that, that would cause us to adore you, to love and to cherish you, Lord. Would you help us to do that well? Oh, God, I know there's so many other things in this season that, that are good things, Lord. There are good things, but I plead on behalf of this congregation, my brothers and sisters that I love, oh God, and myself, we don't have time to waste in setting our minds on the things of you, Christ, of reserving our hearts and setting them aside for you. Lord, uh, of looking at the, 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 the moment of your birth and rejoicing in it because you were marked to die to save sinners. And Lord, just, just like my brother Ryan said earlier, if, if, if the birth moment hadn't have happened, then the Easter moment couldn't have happened. And so God, we thank you. Oh Lord, I thank you. Please fill our hearts with gratitude. Help us to set aside the other distractions for a while and worship you, Lord. It's in your heavenly name I pray. Amen.